Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. The film board gathers. The Gang of Thugs is here to take on a movie currently in theaters. And this month, we're swinging into the unknown with Miles and Gwen in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. My name is Miles Morales. I'm Brooklyn's one and only Spider-Man. And things are going great. Oh, yeah. You were supposed to be here at five. All right, whatever. Whatever? Wow. Whatever? 
So are you like a cow or a Dalmatian? I am the spot. <laughs> it's not funny. Don't, don't do that. Miles's grades are pretty good. A in AP Physics. That's my little man. And a B in Spanish. What? Ooh, okay. Miles. Are you trying Mira, that's what I'm I gotta go. All right, bye. He's lying to you. And I think you know it. What's up, danger? Miles! Wanna get out of here? Oh! When? So wait a minute. There's an elite crew with all the best spider people in it? Right. Who's the new guy? This is unbelievable. This is the lobby. Miguel O'Hara. The whole thing was his idea. What's a guy got to do to join this spider team? You can never be part of this. Don't even get me started on Doctor Strange and the little nerd back on Earth 1999-99. Come on, go easy on the kid. He had a terrible teacher. Peter. Miles. Mayday. You have a baby? I have a baby. I'll take it from here. Welcome, everybody. I'm Pete Wright. We're talking about Miles Morales and friends today. And I have my friends who pop through the portal above my bed like some weird pop art stalkers. It's Steve Sarmento, <laughs> not just anybody's bus window liquor. Hi, Steve. <laughs> All right, let's do this one last time. My name is Steve Sarmento. I listened to a podcast <laughs> while I did yard work on Saturdays. And Pete Wright made me angry with some of his opinions. And Jiggly Monkeys <laughs> used to poop in Andy's Lemonade. And they asked me to join this podcast with Tommy and JJ. And there were some other guys that came and went. And Tommy watched fake things fight fake things and he talks about smells with pete and i made jj watch a bunch of movies for trailer rewind but for the past nine years i've been part of this film board talking with these guys about movies and the thing that keeps us coming back together month after month is our love of movies and the great conversation that we have together there's only one film board and i'm thrilled to be part of it yeah oh my god i didn't know there would be both a rant and a plug that was amazing uh we also have look at this it's justin yeager and not just anybody's good cow <laughs> i feel so like i feel so woefully inadequate after that wonderful I monologue right you I just, just have groaned, a sound effect man <laughs> Oh, it's Justin Yeager, Foley. And we have Tommy Metz III, not just anybody's guy in the chair. And I get that reference, so I win. I'm here also. You made it. Yeah. Uh, this movie is, uh, I, I, can't, I can't think of a movie recently that I have been more interested in seeing in the theater than this one. I feel like I've been looking forward to it since the release date was announced and going to see it gave me a sense of theatrical exuberance like I haven't felt in a long time. My question for you guys to start us off is first, did you share that kind of enthusiasm uh, with me and did it at all live up to your expectations? Yes, I was very excited to see this in the theater because of the first one and what a visual feast that was with the animation styles. There was so much going on on the screen that you needed that big experience. Plus everything that happens in the Spider-Verse, just be in the room with the fans for a movie like this because there's so many little bits and pieces. I'm not a huge Spider-Man expert. So there's little things that I'm, I'm hearing snickers and laughs. And I know there's things that I'm missing, but to be part of that community, seeing this on the screen is something that you don't get in theaters that much anymore. It's always, you know, just big and loud, but this is really about a community experience and a visual treat for your eyes on a really big screen. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with that. JJ, where do you stand? 
Yeah, I, I talked a little bit about it last month. I agree. I was very excited about this, mostly because of how my expectations were blown out of the water with the first with Into the Spider-Verse. So I was very excited about this. And I, w- I ended up really enjoying this experience, too, for different reasons than that sort of disruption that I had on the first one. Um, I was really excited. It felt a lot like a ride. I love, Steve, that you bring up the idea of a world of Easter eggs that not even some of the most intimate fans can really pick out unless you're, you know, sort of following along with everything there. I definitely experienced that too. And the biggest thing for me was how many times I caught myself saying, wow, at what I saw on the screen in this movie. And that isn't something that I really felt in the first one because I was so into the story. This one, I really felt like I was here for the ride in a completely different way. So I loved it. And my expectations were high as well. Tom, if there's ever a movie about fake things, throwing things at fake things, (laughs) we found one. Uh, How did did Spider-Verse hit you? My expectations had dribbled down i really enjoyed the first one but generally i'm not a superhero guy i'm certainly not a spider-man guy i like batman and i'm not a huge animation fan these are all things that i end up liking once i see them but then i forget that i like them and i wait for the next (laughs) horrible jurassic world movie to come out um and so i really enjoyed the first one though but i forgot and so i'm glad that we had this podcast so i would go see it this is potentially one that would fall through the cracks just because i'm an idiot so yeah, but what'd you think? I mean, did you like it? Was I thought it okay? we were doing like value statements up top. I <laughs> no, so I just said, I just, <laughs> you said, just said, did it live up to expectations? And you oh, said yeah, your expectations point. were low and then stop talking. <laughs> I thought I wanted to make it a real surprise. <laughs> I know the answer and I'll never tell. <laughs> um, I was stunned by how incredible go. this movie was. I was blown away by how smart every part of it was spot on. And for it being an Easter egg fest, it didn't feel like an overly busy Ready Player One Easter egg Mm -hmm. fest. It felt like everything was well paced, well spaced out. It didn't just feel like let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. I was blown away by the writing, the acting, of course, the animation, storytelling, everything. Oh, okay. loved it See, so was that much. so hard was that so hard that's all you but had but, to do. but what do i really think <laughs> tune in to find out <laughs> okay, well, i i i think it's a, i think that's a really good note about the easter egg fest fest and when you compare it to ready player one i actually mm. i was thinking about that like part of the reason i like when i watch ready player one i kind of have a good time is because i get a lot of the references and when I watch it with people who don't get the references, they don't like the movie because yeah, it's right. such a parade of Easter eggs that actually are plot requirements, right? You kind of have to understand it to be able to yeah. understand the movie. I did not feel that way with this movie and seeing it with people who did not share that. And I think, like you said, it's not a movie where the Easter eggs actually are a requirement for the film, but they augment it for those who actually enjoy it. Well, and to to just throw in one right just to start off is to to do the little flash early on in the film where they where they do the Lego animation, which is a weird sort of meta Easter egg in that Lord and Miller's connection to the Lego movies 
makes it a perfect drop for an idea about multiversal theory within the Spider-Verse. And there can, I mean, it is fan service and also in service of the story. And you don't need it, like you're talking about with Ready Player One, you don't need it to love or understand what's happening because it's all on screen. It's very much, it's it's very much show, not tell. And, uh, and it's executed perfectly in this film. And do you guys and know I, the I story about the... Like the the Lego. Oh, are you going to tell it? The Lego story? It's a yeah. great, go oh, for it. great story. Oh, no. Yeah. If you've got something right there, I'm just... No, you go. No, no, no. Okay. I want you, I want you oh. to tell it. Okay. I'm dying. I, no, I... I want Steve to... Everyone quiet Steve. <laughs> He's talking. He's talking. He's teaching us a lesson. Uh, no, because I did... I had just seen some headlines about like, oh, 14-year-old animates part of Spider-Verse. And I was like, what? You know, and it was the fact that this kid had done a Lego animation of the trailer, the the Lord Miller saw and then said, we're going to have him do this whole sequence in the movie. So that was after they'd cut the trailer and everything. The fact that from what I read, like they were finishing up production on this thing, like in, in late May uh, to finish something up like this. And the fact that a kid can do that, post that on YouTube and have his work then be incorporated in this is just shows how much this movie is about the fans and appreciating mm. the fans and their love of the Spider-Man property. Has anyone seen the yeah. Key and Peele Gremlins 2 sketch? Because that's what this is making me think of. Where it's like, it's wait a minute. Yeah. It's a Lego animation that's of the trailer by a 14-year-old. It's in the movie. I love it. I love it. It's one of my favorites. Uh, so to step back just a little bit, uh, a little after a year, has a little over a year has passed since the first film. I, from what I gather, it's a year and four months. I didn't do that math. That is what has been reported to me. Mm -hmm. Miles Morales catapults across the multiverse where he encounters a team of spider people charged with protecting its very existence. When the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles must redefine what it means to be a hero. That's what IMDb says. What I say is this oh. movie opens on Gwen Stacy. Exactly. I loves Gwen Stacy. Me too. Uh, and I love the subversion of all of the narrative elements that we got in the first movie from Miles' story to Gwen Stacy recontextualizing our events uh, in her voice. I thought it was a brilliant way to open this film and bring us into the world. Thoughts? I loved it. It felt like that, the Gwen background plus the 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 gathering of the spider team aspect that with with paper vulture and everything leading up to that felt perfect to me it, especially in thinking of this as a as a sequel if that's what this is or you know the continuation of the trilogy it felt perfect it's it's kind of it reminded me of lord of the rings you guys just did this in the series for uh, you know in the in the the main show it it's the kind of thing of like oh here's another aspect of the story but we're going to like you said, contextualize it based on this other main character that's so important to this story that we're going to show you in her voice, in in her lived-in experience. And it was wonderful. I loved it. I loved being a part of it. I loved getting her background. I felt more intimate with character. It set up the story perfectly for me. I loved it. And I loved the refrain of, it's not just him. Yeah. Because that yes. works both on, there's a bunch of people, but there's also just not one miles Mur or there's not just one spider-man it's just such a smart way to do it i love that kind of writing especially in the beginning sorry steve go ahead oh no i was gonna say i i love that we start with with gwen stacy to get her story but it really sets up this whole like there's two protagonists in the story because i'm watching this and i in a matter of minutes 
how am I so invested in her relationship with her dad? Yes, I'm a dad with with daughters, so I, I'm a sucker for a story like this. But this whole conflict of she's growing up, she's got all this trauma she's dealing with. She's got a, a dad that she's got to hide stuff from. And this whole drama going on between them. And I'm like, we haven't even started this movie, really. And I'm already like on the brink of tears between this relationship between Gwen and her dad. I'm like, how did you do this to me so quickly? And an amazing fight sequence to start. And like this, we haven't even gotten the miles yet. And you're setting the bar this high. I, I wasn't sure how they were going to be able to pull this off. But I was so excited with that direction that they set, you know, the stage for and the animation style of Gwen's universe. So different because I just watched Into the Spider-Verse. And so we're grounded in a different universe, a different animation style that's got its own personality that fits her. Uh, it's a perfect way to start this movie. I was so amped up for this. Well, yeah, since you brought it up, that Earth-65, like her pastels and watercolors, uh, and the fact that they used the color of the world as a barometer for her emotional state, I thought was an incredible tie-in to uh, to the actual plot, to the narrative of the film. And when her relationship starts being sort of both torn asunder with her her father and then brought back together later, and they hug, and there's an explosion of color out from from their hug, I thought was really really beautiful i think the the adriano tomino vulture right the the uh, <laughs> uh that vulture was extraordinary and what a wonderful sort of power move to put that in that first opening 15 minutes to have such a wildly different style um in it, you know floating through this otherwise like really beautiful and and watery kind of universe i thought was really really beautiful so that and they they really maximized the idea of the different animations in this, right? We see it, yes. it, it integrated in with the story, with the different universes. We see it integrated with the different characters with that goes through. It's something that actually has existed in animation for years, for decades. Something that Disney has been doing too, where they would actually assign a, a team or a, a leader to a particular character. But it's something that I didn't always recognize as it was happening. There's one movie in the Disney group of movies where I did see that first, and that was Atlantis. If you've ever seen that one, no. they have a team of characters that go in and each of the team characters is run by a different animation team. So it's very simple in the way that it's put into that movie and doesn't have anything to do with the story. So then we look at the evolution of where it comes in animation here and it's done so well in this movie it's done so well to the sort of basic idea that we're talking about about individual characters and that vulture animation was spectacular it was just amazing to watch and what a great idea for how it was coming out and the different concepts of it with flame and how it interacts with the the natural world in a animated world it's just so great and then for us to take the story to where it goes and now we have different colors we have different moods we have different animation styles for each universe it's just so brilliant and it just shows the depth of thought that they had that they brought to this multiversal concept that's you know running rampant in film today running rampant in the creative mindset of 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 artists right now and i, and I just loved it i loved how they made it work in this movie i i think that's a really good point like the the idea of having art styles per you know and and i'm not an expert sort of historian on you know making animated films in the Disney canon and beyond. Um, I, I get your point about even Atlantis. I saw the movie. I don't remember the variations, but it feels to me like what this movie did 
contrary to what those movies did, which is we're making one movie, put your spin on the character, but, you know, it needs to fit in the movie, was we're making this movie and you can do whatever the hell you want with these <laughs> characters. And reference Daniel Kaluuya voiced Spider-Punk, oh. which is yeah. hands down my favorite animation in this entire film. Mm. It favorite was character. Favorite character. Yes, yes. Favorite character, favorite everything. He was an extraordinary character and I was delighted to see him in the movie. Uh, the, uh, the other arc, though, animation arc is Miles, right? Miles in the last movie was all sort of off offset, like he had all the color offset was kind of with him. It showed that he was it, it's it, I, I see now through the lens of history with these movies that his animation was tied to his skill and prowess as Spider-Man. And by the mm. end of this oh. movie, his animation is tight. Like it nice. is, he is a unified <laughs> character and, uh, and looks great in the final sort of climactic sequence. So um, I, I think that is, it is just a, a real shine. Also, you know, we talk about our love of, of Earth 65 with all the pastels and watercolors. Um, you know, we, we go to the Hindi verse, right? We get to see uh, the character was Pravateer Prabhakar. Oh, uh, by Caranzoni. And Caranzoni was yes. also uh, the the cab driver, I believe, in Deadpool. No. Oh, the actor. Yes, you know, I'm actor. getting tripped up. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right. And that <laughs> cross was uh, fantastic. I thought that was really fun hearing his, his voice. Uh, I thought he was really great. So, um, okay. So uh, the other, and we went to, I think, five different universes all told. Did you have a favorite? The weird thing is like, I, I, I ha I'm having trouble selecting is what I yeah. would say. So because they were all so uh, fantastic, and I mean that in the sort of literal sense of they, they were this elaborate fantasy world. I mean, I would love to go with the Hindi verse because of how they used it in the story. I think the, the idea of where they go, where spider team hq is i think is a really interesting concept as well um what's that nueva york that's what that one is um yeah, so i think yeah i don't know i don't want to pick favorite pete you stumped me right. that one. No, and right. you can't forget uh when the spot kicks himself in the butt into himself and he's sort of <laughs> inside himself and that whole sort of white space of just that that universe of, of his revelation i mean that that character is interesting because he's we, again we're paralleling things of the different universes he's that gateway through that um there's there's so much going on i mean that to me was really the standout is you've got all these technical aspects that we're talking about supported by a really well constructed story of how well balanced things are how things just move along logically i'm there's so much story going on but i'm not lost at any point i am i'm led through this in a logical manner where i understand these characters what their motivations are what what the stakes are for everybody and it makes me just enjoy this ride so much more because i'm not worried about why is somebody doing that or where are we or, or who's this or does that make sense i didn't have to worry about any of that they just walked me through that and held my hand through this and it, it was such a great balancing act between the story and the technical aspect of storytelling, including, and I know they did this in the first one, is really leveraging that screen space to represent like the comic book page with multiple panels going on to come back to that. To, this is what a comic book is. This is how we can have storytelling visually happening in multiple 
spots of the screen going on, drawing your attention and keeping us moving forward. Yeah. I feel like it was just this, uh, it was as close to frenetic as you can get without being frenetic. And that's really what a lot of these movies can be with the, just to, uh, what I was blathering on before about throwing everything against the wall, that sometimes they just think that that's the way to do it. And it becomes numbing. <laughs> Bo is afraid. Look- <clears throat> ah. Bo is afraid. <laughs> Bo is afraid. And so, uh, um, oh man, that, frenetic. is it allergies? Throwing things against the wall. <laughs> I think it's allergies. Yeah, Bo is afraid. But- but I mean, but to be right on that edge and then all of a sudden have like live action, like spot being yes. animated goes into that oh, uh, yes. convenience store to have yeah. uh, Donald Glover as a meta thing. Well, the convenience store him. is the Venom universe. That's the Venom universe. Oh, see, I don't even know. See, this is the thing. This and is the thing the about the Easter was egg. like brock's venomlicious or something right. that was it's like, yeah there's so oh, many easter eggs it. and you didn't you tommy this is the yep. point we were making at the beginning you right. tommy didn't need that to enjoy that scene and right. then you get the snickers from you know yep. two right. seats back of like oh my gosh it's yeah it's this and then donald glover and this is the thing maybe you guys can com- c- connect this for me i have seen rumors i don't know if it's true but there is supposedly a live action film being scheduled where donald glover is going to play Aaron Davis, yeah, probably. Prowler in a future thing where Miles is again in a live action, but is not the main character. Have you guys heard anything about this? This I is his name. Wasn't Donald Glover in Spider Man, the first uh, Tom Holland one, which was that Homecoming? Yes, he was. He yeah. was. He was. They bound him up and put him in a. Right. Yeah, but I don't remember. The, yeah, but I don't remember that character name because again, I don't know I don't if, if that's thing, the yeah. same character from that so. universe or not. But yeah, it was love a, it. Yeah, such a joy. You know, it's actually interesting. It is Steve. I'm checking right now. It is actually he is playing Aaron Davis Prowler in that as the the sort of multiversal anomaly but his he is credited in spider-man homecoming there as you know according to the marvel cinematic universe wiki as as aaron davis oh which i think is which i think is called aaron davis in homecoming Oh, yeah. okay. Because he was like Literally selling the hair on my arms is standing up right Because he was I selling that bootleg <laughs> equipment or whatever for the vulture yep. stuff. He was like, yeah. "Hey, I got some stuff for you in the trunk of my car." Which love it. makes doesn't sense. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, love it. Yeah. So I I think that was that was really really special the way they did that. And I think we should talk a little bit about that spot tie in because the spot is it turns out not just a, a a you know baddie of the of the moment in the movie. He he actually is tied in to the last movie, I think, quite effectively. Now, what, what, as I'm saying all this, I'm watching Tom's face, and I think it's important we recognize what's happening right here, where three of us are giddy and laughing, and one of us has some really consternated eyebrows. <laughs> I don't know anything that you guys are talking about. I, most of the time, but it never felt like hanging on for dear life. The, the, right. the, the tightrope that they weave, you don't weave a tightrope, you know what I mean, um, is so incredible for me to realize I'm missing half of this and I'm having the time <laughs> of my life and I don't get it. I saw it in a mostly empty theater, so I didn't get a lot of Snickers. I saw it like during the day, uh, which may be, even helped if i if everyone would be like oh earth 92 and i'd be like quit it guys yeah i'm here too popcorn so tom Um, but what he's talking about with spot do you do recognize that that's from the first movie right the throwing of the bagel 
hitting a particular person. <laughs> maybe you don't. This is interesting. This is what you're, this is yes. good that you slowed us yeah. down for this. Yes. So when Spot is talking about his origin, it's yeah. from the first movie when they had right. broken into the lab sure? and yes. they had this huge thing with the Peter B. Parker, I'm going to get a bagel and like all this thing. And then the bagel, the bagel hits a particular person and that person becomes Spot. And they, God, they and that's his, that. yeah, he has this, I think like, I got that sort of feeling that I was like, this yes. is probably someone yeah. that I would remember if I had watched <laughs> the movie again, but I forgot to. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's fun. Yeah. Well, I get, yes, I, it is fun and also narratively important. And uh, I want to say that my, my youngest son, everywhere. right. Yeah. My youngest son ever, he's 11 years old, comes in and goes, so now is there a tie-in between the bagel and the Spider-Verse? And the everything everywhere right. all at once. Everything, all at once. <laughs> everything bagel. Yeah. Yeah. It sure does feel like it, like there is a nod and a wink to the kinds of bagel, you know, flashes yeah. that we have in this right. movie. It, it does feel like they're certainly in the, the spiritual universe together. Somewhere. Somewhere. I didn't fully understand that. It still worked great. I knew that it was something like some sort of callback that I wasn't getting. Uh, Brian in the comments is asking, like, for instance, like the spot drops out of the narrative for a while. Miguel comes in as the bad guy. None of it. It all worked so well for me. There was so much story and everyone had so much backstory, but they lean into it. I was fine when people disappeared. I was fine when people came back because I was so invested in every single person. I don't mind involved. the disappearing, but I think it's good to bring up Miguel because Miguel – so there's two things that are kind of big foibles for me with this film. And Miguel is one of them in that Why? most of the characters are written with a great arc and um, and you get that. And maybe and, – and I'm leaving room for them to come in the Beyond the Spider-Verse uh, narrative that's going to come in the third one to to give him some sort of arc, but he is really one noted here. He's really a very singular idea as a character at this point, and maybe it's because he represents the Thanos without the backstory. He represents, you know, this kind of thing, like the great sort of orchestrator of of what he thinks is is important to maintaining the universe. But that wasn't enough for me, especially alongside all these other characters who are given the sort of depth and understanding, like everything we talked about with Gwen and Gwen's backstory, I thought was great. I didn't end up feeling any sort of affinity towards the Miguel character. And I want more. I love Oscar Isaac. I want I want more of what he represents to the story, what the Miguel character represents to the story. But it wasn't good enough for me in this movie, unfortunately. I think that's a really great, uh, great observation. To me, Miguel in this movie, he's the, the intense governor of Spiderville, right? Like he has a, uh, he acts as the threshold guardian for everybody else to sort of get around and do the right thing in spite of his intensity. To me, that felt okay, but I think I'm putting a lot of weight on a subsequent film to wrap up a story that this right. very much feels like The Empire Strikes Back of. And yeah. I want to reserve some judgment. I, I love that this movie, to me, stands alone because there is... Um, there's a bit of a transformational arc along the way toward whatever comes to that movie. And it resolves as cliffhangery as it sort of resolves at the end. It, it, I didn't feel like I was robbed 
of anything in the movie. Like I, <clears throat> Fast 10, like I feel like this movie can actually <laughs> oh stand God, a little allergies. bit on its own. It's a crazy day. Uh, grass pollen, all time high. <laughs> I I still feel, felt like I was I was rewarded at the end of the movie. And I'm, I think you're right. I do also love Oscar Isaac. And I think he has a, a great voice for this character. Um, Given the end of the last movie, if I'm being super hypercritical, like introducing Miguel O'Hara in the last movie Mm -hmm. was extraordinarily exciting to see that they were bringing in sort of this this character. And yeah, that he was just I'm being super generous with the word just the governor of Spiderville does feel, I guess, a little bit under underwhelming. Well, he's the foil for for Miles, because we have when I mean, Miguel's whole thing is I tried to change my canon, right? He went to another universe where his daughter didn't die, breaking canon and realizes like these are things that can't be avoided. We have to face this grief. And then during that whole big chase, when they're on the whatever train to the moon and Miles is like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to do things my way. I'm I'm breaking from this. I've got my, it puts them in direct opposition to each other, which sets us up for this that great moment at the end of Miles facing himself of the Miles that lost his father and who he turned into versus, you know, without you know spider abilities. It's and it's this whole thing that I'm really intrigued with this idea of, you know, grief and you know how we come out on the other side. If, are we in a world of despair? Where we're we're tied to that past and that grief, and we're clinging to it, are we able to move move past that and become the hero that we need to become through that transformative, you know, crucible process of like pain, anguish, whatever that trauma? And that to me was very interesting to see how Miles is going to handle that. That's what he's faced with with this next movie, and I'm really intrigued to see how they approach that because he's. He's got his spider powers, right? Is is that the message that it's going to be of like, sure, you can get through things because you have superpowers. That's what gets through. Or is it something about our character as human beings that we need to, how we respond to grief and trauma and who that turns us into? And I think that's why I really liked the whole, you know, setup between these two characters. So, yeah, I think, yeah, maybe we've got a bit of a one-dimensional villain there because that's his one thing of like, I've got to I've got to maintain canon. That's my my one thing. Uh, whereas ever Miles and Gwen have far more complex stories going on. But I think you there's already so much we didn't have time for a more complex villain because we've got the spot as well and what role he's going to play. There's there's a lot going on. So I'm willing to to sacrifice a little bit of complexity um, on our on our villains there. But yeah, I, I think the the themes that we're going to are, are ones that are really compelling for me. Well, and, and I'm I'm glad you brought up, you know, other miles. There's a blink and you miss it sort of jump through one of the spots portals where we actually see Earth 42 miles about to be bit by the Earth 42 spider that created the anomaly for the miles that we ended up with. So there is this sort of other universe where Prowler miles could have ended up with Spider-Man's abilities had he only been bitten by that particular spider. I think that was really fascinating. But because you brought it up, I think we need to to back up a little bit and break down what canon events are. Since it's Miguel's overriding uh, motivation in this movie, what are canon events and does the logic of the canon event hold up for you throughout the entire arc of the movie? JJ, you want to take a stab? So the way that I understand canon events are events that 
need to happen in time to preserve the sort of the the fabric of reality. And they are essential. And, and in, in terms of the Spider-Verse, they're essential for the Spider-Man timelines. And the ones that they explain in this are the loss of a particular close thing. Most of the time it's an uncle or, and then also there is a captain. They're, they're, most of the time they are either um, a sort of complicating incident where you get powers, you get, you become Spider-Man and then you get a motive, right? You become the, the person and then you get the motive to do your Spider-Man things. And in each of these universes, the canon events are unified in their, I mean, they aren't all, this is where they, they play a little fast and loose with their definition because, you know, they, they say, oh, it's a captain and they use the captain dying to give sort of miles the motivation of you, you need to get back home to save your dad who's about to become captain. But the captain isn't really the essential nature of the canon event. The, the canon event is the tragedy. And who the tragedy happens with is not the same in the infinite number of possibilities. So they play a little bit fast and loose with it. But the concept of canon events, again, is are these essential things that have to happen for reality to keep going the way it is. And this is played within a lot of, again, we talk about the sort of the the, the marketplace of ideas right now in, in, in art. And you think about it makes me think of in the MCU, the idea of nexus events. Um, that they're playing with the sort of uh, Scarlet Witch things or the idea of preserving the the timeline from the TVA in the Loki, in the Loki series, these kind of things. So it's all different sort of uh, variations on a theme for what's going on here. Um, I think it works for the story. And I, and I was fully bought in with there. But again, the idea of what is specifically a canon event, I think uh, Miguel is a little bit... Uh, playing that he's the expert on this a little bit too much just because of his own personal tragedy that he experienced when trying to change the canon event. Right, right. It's his grief that is, as Steve said, his grief is his motivator and also cements him as the ultimate arbiter of what a canon event is. Um, so do we, are are we the audience as concerned as he is that Miles Morales is an anomaly, an anomaly as defined by he was bit by a, a spider that was not meant for his earth? Tom, did you care at all about any of this stuff? <laughs> yeah, I was always a little bit like behind the yeah. eight ball. But I mean, I understood. And then when he when the surprise is that he gets sent back to his spiders yeah, universe instead of his universe. I was like, oh, neat and stuff. Yeah, so that um, was a cool little rug pull, right? That was that really was really neat. cool. I liked yeah, it. and it was so right there for yeah. us. It's it felt like oh, I mean, it really felt earned to be that kind of thing because they didn't Scooby Doo it. They really gave us all of the elements for it. The importance of him being an anomaly and how that might be a problem. I'm not a hundred percent. Well, that's understanding what the worry is other than everything is going to unravel. Well, and that's my biggest problem with the story. And I think that's a bigger problem than I have with Miguel as a character in that they set us up in no one telling Miguel that he is the prime anomaly. And then they have that reveal. And then the big betrayal of Miles recognizing that Peter B. and Gwen didn't tell him. And that feels like a kind of cheap sitcom story tactic to me. Whereas I would have loved for the writing to tell him and have all the characters work together and figure out what it means to know that 
this important person in their lives, this Miles that they care about and Miles thinking about himself as the prime anomaly, um, what that means and for them to overcome that as opposed to dealing with the betrayal of the lie of omission. That seems like a very cheap story tactic that disappointed me in this film because I feel like so much else is so smart. Like, why did they just have to not tell him that? Right. That, yeah, that it, it is a little bit mind blowing because, again, to your point, it's so everything else is so smart that why? How is it that this movie falls prey to this like insane movie trope of without this cheapness? We cannot have big action sequence like we have to get to the chase because that's the exhilarating bit of animation and screen fireworks. It, you know, is there no other way to to give us a, a, a transformational moment that also gives us a big action beat that we do need or or write that in such a way that there's something else that is more authentic to creating an action beat? Because. To me, it just, I, I think I'm with you, it just cheapens the transition from miles to, from I ignorance to awareness, that like we shortcut that path through cheapness. And I, I don't care for it. Steve, you were going to say something? No, I, yeah, I think that's, that's one of those tropes of like, I'm an angry teenager, all the adults are, are, are hiding things from me, and now I'm going to be angry about it. I feel like that's something that's, yeah, it's a, it's a well-played trope of, we we just withhold that information because when Gwen first shows up in Miles Universe, it's clear she's there for other reasons as well. And it's like, okay, that creates some some dramatic tension for us. But like, yeah, I'm questioning like what's going on, what's being withheld from Miles, what's the reason for that? And yeah, I think JJ, you're right. Yeah, it sort of just cheapens some things. Whereas if if Peter B. Parker and Gwen are really truly these close friends of Miles, you know their rationale for not telling him just wasn't strong enough versus like, we need to tell him because we can figure this out as a team. We took out Kingpin together. We we are strong, stronger as a team together. And that's a, you know, that's a tricky balance act because then we've got to say that, oh, they, they're part of that, that elite team, which, you know, is huge. Um, and that's where their true allegiance is are. And, you know, what's, what's then their pivot to, oh, no, no, we're actually with Miles by the end of the movie is, yeah. Yeah. It felt a little rushed. Yeah. It does feel a little rushed. And the challenge that I have with it is that as much as I would love to nitpick all the live long day, that action beat that we get into the chase through the spider spiderville mm -hmm. is <laughs> oh, yeah. awesome. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. And that's why, I mean, even in, in review of these things, I'm like, well, you know, I, mm -hmm. I'm OK with that. Because I yeah, want to watch it, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the thing. like it's so fun. So never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Just day in the theater. Oh, all right. Never mind. <laughs> you guys do that. Go ahead. Can yeah. we talk briefly about the crew who put this thing together? Uh, this is a Lord Miller thing. Um, Lord, I, I felt I feel like since the Lego Movie, the Lord of, and Miller. <laughs> duo has had me they've had my heart the heart of my youth um they just know how to communicate this stuff it, it is the thing that makes me just still a little bit resentful that they were kicked off of their star wars project and, and like I, I i would love to see one of those properties in their hands i think it would be great um they I, I think they have a really interesting sense of what this movie is all about, though it was not directed by them. It was directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Kent Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. Uh, thoughts on the 
directorial vision of this thing? Does it feel does it feel like a uh, does it feel like it has enough of a stamp on it? Too much of a stamp on it? Where do we stand on how it was put together, Tom? I don't. I would love to know, like, who was in charge of what? You said it's three yeah. directors. Yeah, three directors. Because like, it feels Miller, like a movie. Lord Miller, and Dave Callahan were uh, on the wrote it. Right. Okay. And Callahan is was on the uh, Shang Chi Legend of the Ten Rings. Nice. Um, and uh, Jean Claude Van jo- Van Johnson, which was a TV <laughs> miniseries I did not see. Oh yes. Um, oh, America it's actually, the Motion it's Picture. Quite good. More, it, it, was it really yes. awesome? Uh, yeah, Mortal Kombat. Kind of thing about uh, John Claude Van Damme. Yeah, did write Wonder Woman 1984. He was uh, got a screenplay by on Wonder Woman and Zombieland Double Tap, and uh, so Godzilla. <laughs> uh, so there, there are some. You know, I would just like to say, for the record, 17 previous screenplay by credits is crazy great yeah. in an industry that is hard to get yeah. movies made yes. so that's amazing i could yeah. like I, i'll find a way to nitpick anything uh, but this is not his career yeah. let's say that uh, right. amazing career um so anyhow tom i interrupted you. 100%, i don't remember what the question was <laughs> You, you wouldn't know your own the Lord Miller's directorial stamp on this film. Yeah, oh, direct, directorial uh, stamp. They, but you, it, yeah, yeah, it almost kind of feels like three really smart people said, "I'll meet you a couple weeks from now," and meant and made and fleshed out and completely uh, designed their element of the film, and then they threw them all together, but in a way that really, really worked. And then someone just sort of like filed off some of the rough edges. The so many distinct visual choices so many distinct pacing choices again i can't stop saying uh, again about how close it is i didn't realize how close it is or how thrilling it is to be that close to frenetic but not over the line because then i mean i need to see this movie again there's just so much i mean we, we went back to even going back to vulture time in the very beginning that every once in a while would stop and give you those galileo or whatever vincent no who does that who does the the man oh leonardo da vinci Vinci, like angles and like writing and stuff i mean and you don't even have time you're like oh my god that's amazing but then something else great is happening and yeah i mean it's if there's a stamp there's not too much of a stamp i feel like there are stamps in a way that is really cohesive and really works and is again breathtaking at times they're in the 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 category of I'll see anything they do right now because it's there's too much creativity too much fun to be had in a Lord and Miller movie right now to miss in my in my mind um, and they haven't they haven't had a miss for me I, I I love everything they've done thus far I think what's interesting about it to your point Tom that that there are so many people involved I mean as we said uh, Dos Santos Kemp Powers uh, and Thompson uh, directed. Lord Miller and Callahan written, it doesn't feel necessarily like any one stamp. It feels like all these people came together and then they just shaved all the serial numbers off. Like it's right. still, it's, yeah. it's still a really incredible and cohesive piece that doesn't, doesn't at all seem as, as you know, as you said, almost frenetic as it becomes, it, it is at no point do I feel like it's in competition with itself as, as a, as a visual or narrative piece, kind of extraordinary. Yeah. If there was one thing by the end of it, I was like, okay, I kind of want to clap 
And then luckily it said to be continued. I didn't realize yeah. it was going to be a cliffhanger. If it, I was like, okay, I'm a little worn out. Like now is the time to stop it. And we still haven't defeated or solved anything. And then it said to be continued. I was like, oh, thank goodness. And then I ran into it. <laughs> um, that was the only thing of like, if it had stuck around much longer, yeah. that's yeah. when I finally would have been maybe numbed out. But it knew when to bounce, which is very exciting. In a world of movies that are almost all too long these days. This one felt right and knew exactly when I was about to <laughs> lose patience. <laughs> yeah. uh, before we uh, before we turn our attention to uh, ratings, reviews, and coming attractions, uh, just a, a shout out to any particular voice performances that were over the moon for you. <laughs> Andy Samberg was that him <laughs> doing like the really overly serious. Like yeah. now I'm down in the alley. Yeah, that yeah. was really yes. funny. Is that a person? Here's I have a really quick. If you can sum this up really quickly, because I don't want to be too geeked out. But like, are all of these different Spider Men? Do they exist like in the comic books? Do they exist in other things? Or are some of these Spider Men just like made up just for this movie? Uh, ooh, like this, who's you, been right? The, the way the way you asked the question was hard to answer. Sorry. But um, the majority, not the majority, the 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 major Spider Men that you've seen have been created in Marvel IP. The Andy Samberg Ben Riley character does exist in in the comic book world, but some of them were created just for the film as well. Okay, okay, but some of the big ones that get like a real shout out are ones that super fans would recognize. Yep. Interesting. Yes, I, I I do an, another shout out to to Brian in the chat room. Uh, was T Rex Spider Man? That's the one that jumped out to me. Was T Rex Spider Man real from the from the pages of the books? I'm not aware of him, but okay. uh, I'm not going to say that it's outside, research outside of the yeah. possibility. But yeah, right. no, that seemed like it was great for the film and the film alone. Yeah, it was that it was extraordinary. Uh, the number, the variety of Spider-Man, like uh, this is one of the bits that that uh, Lord and Miller and Lord and Miller interview. They said, um, uh, you know, how did you sort of conceive of this movie? Because they started conceiving of the movie a month before the first movie had been released. Oh, right? wow. In 2018, because the, the press was just so good uh, early on uh, about the film. They were like, yeah, of course, we're going to do another one. Let's figure out what's going to come next and how we can. And that that's the point where they they figured, you know, we could we could make this a solid trilogy uh, and, and show the growth of this character over time. And so there they go. So they said, you know, for the second one, we thought, OK, what are we going to do that is Let's think of the most extraordinarily expensive thing we could possibly do and throw it at too few animators to get it done. And I thought that was really funny. Like, that's a funny bit of, of sort of self-awareness about just the scale and scope of what they they collectively uh, were able to create over, you know, through four years is uh, it, it's it's a real statement piece in terms of animation and presentation. There is nothing else like it in movies except for the one that came right before it like right. i just ha i don't feel like we've seen anything else th like this and again is not a rabid consumer of all of animation um, you know this this one feels like a, an anomaly to have made it quite so big uh anyway we were talking about big performances and uh yeah Kaluuya. Daniel Daniel Kaluuya is is my favorite. We talked about him before, but the interesting thing about Hobie, Hobie ends up being my favorite character. Didn't wasn't excited about him at first and then his arc in this like tiny sort of tangential character I think is really wonderful and I'm so interested to learn more about 
him now mm. um, about, you know, him saying, oh, I quit, by the way. And he just goes away. Yeah. Obviously, he's part of the new, you know, his the, the elite strike team of our spider friends that we have together. But I thought the weird thing about the Hobie character is it matches my impression of who Daniel Kaluuya is as a person, whether or not that's true about <laughs> his personality. But you think about Daniel Kaluuya in Nope. Or in these other characters, it's like, oh, let's animate that personality. <laughs> and Hobie comes out perfectly. Just yeah. so cool and so awesome, regardless of what you're doing, whether you're wrangling horses in, you know, North L.A. County or like any like that was Daniel Kaluuya. And so I loved that character. I loved the voice performance. I was all in for Hobie. There's so many. I mean, that's there. No, I. I got to watch this again because there's so much going on. There's so much. I mean, I, I, one of the things I, as I sat and thought about everything, Peter B. Parker and what his role is, it feels like he's just comic relief in this one. Whereas, you know, in the first one, he carries that, that mentor role. Although what we do see him in this one is sort of the other side of his own personal conflict of getting back with, with MJ and being a father and, all of all of that, but I felt like I wanted a little bit more of him because I loved that character and what we saw of him in the first one of that that Peter Parker that is isn't the hero who's the the schlub on the other side of that, and it, I felt like he was just underutilized in this one. But I I'm again I want to pin my hopes on the third one of of what where that can go and what where it goes, uh, but that was one that I was hoping for more from that i want to i want to see if you share this reflection about peter b parker and uh, because i this and i'm i make no assertion that this was intended but for me i i really like the act of making him a father right that he has this this baby mayday and his representation in the gestalt of fatherhood is here's what it's like if you have a father and you get to not be terrified all the time because this kid has the same sort of prowess and like you don't have to fear them falling off of stuff because they stick to stuff and, right. you know, probably yeah. don't you build them the web shooter so they have the ability to to move in ways and protect themselves that that normal children don't have. And I really like the way Jake Johnson plays that. And I, I yeah. really found an affinity for it. Like this is this is kind of aspirational for me personally. <laughs> like what would it be? What yeah. would it have been like when my kids were that old to not be terrified all the time that <laughs> something terrible was going to fall on them uh, you know i think that was really interesting well, and, to me. and captain stacy is sort of the other side of that and that's his arc because he goes from his way of coping with that was i'm the cop i live in the black and white world of there's right and there's wrong and he steps away from that into that gray space of being a parent's hard it's all a gray space you don't know there's no easy answers to those things and so he's so I, th I like that whole aspect of the uncertainty of, of that, that arc of that relationship, because I felt like that feels, again, very true to me of like, yeah, I, w I wish it was like work where I, I know how to manage things versus like, I don't know how to handle this kid who's on the brink of adulthood and is keeping secrets for me. I, you know, and it, it's, you know, what Peter B. Parker says of like that whole thing with, you know seeing how Miles turned out of like, yeah, I can do this. It's like, well, yeah, can you though? Because Miles is going to go through some tough times. I mean, 
that's why I can't pick a character because to me it's the themes of these stories of 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 raising kids and parenting that to me is just always comes comes through in this. Yeah, right to the heart. I uh, you know obvious shout out to Shamik Moore and Haley Steinfeld. Uh, oh you yeah, know, as, as Miles mm-hmm. and Miles and Gwen, they they uh, I think carry their their performance from the last movie, and it's just absolutely rock solid. And um, uh, they're they're just terrific. I love the addition of Oscar Isaac and and. Um, uh, I, I think, yeah, again, you, to your point, like there are a bazillion voices in this movie and, and how do you pick just one? Um, so there we have it. That's Cross Spider-Verse. Unless I miss something we absolutely need to talk about, shall we move on to ratings and reviews? Let's Love do it. it. Let's do it. Hey, you know what? We're on Letterboxd. It's our favorite social media network for movie lovers. Uh, you can find uh, all reviews and, and all the films and watch lists. You can compare watch lists with other people. You can you can review other people's reviews if you want. Anyway, there's not all the cruft of other social media platforms, and we yeah. just love it. And you know what you can find on Letterboxd? You can actually get rid of all the ads and support oh. the Kiwi team that makes the thing uh, with a, an easy upgrade for a few bucks. And we yes. can actually save you a few bucks Right here. All you have to do is use the code NEXTREEL at checkout to pro or patron level membership, and we'll save you 20%. And it works for renewals as well. You know, not every place lets these codes work for renewals. So true. Uh, So we're pretty excited about it. And on Letterboxd, we're going to review this movie out of five stars and a heart. If you really, as I know Tom is going to come in with the old one star, and and but a heart because it's clearly become a guilty pleasure that's what the heart that's what the heart means uh let's start with you steve where do you stand i'm going four and a half and a heart four and a half yes and a heart okay four and a half it's strange to me four and a half uh jj are you less than five two i am at four (laughs) and mostly mostly because of the two things that i mentioned like four is that's really still very strong i and and really i'm just kind of placing it beside the first movie right so ultimately um i do like the first movie better but like the first third almost of the first half of this movie is perfect it's just where we start getting into those sort of the cheaper things and the one note character of me like i i think it's going to lead to a wonderful ending but right now it's a four and a heart for me it is definitely my favorite movie of 2023 right now and it's a four yeah yeah. Man, you are yeah. just a nest of complexity today. I guess. Well, you know that four is the w- number that's just below five. <laughs> yeah. right? Okay, just wanted to make sure. And I am going to try to use Cruft on my next Words with Friends game. Outstanding. <laughs> Outstanding. Uh, Tommy, where do you stand? Can we do 0.75s? <laughs> is that not allowed? Did not no. understand the assignment. All right, oh. so then I'm just going to go, I'm going to go 4.5 and a heart. And I, that okay. might go up, it was a 5 before, it's become a 4.5 after talking to you guys. Nice. So it might go back up, but... Um, we made the movie worse for you right now? Well, just some of these story things. Um, this might be, no, I can't because of Batman's, but this is my favorite not Batman superhero movie of all time. Whoa, oh, that's okay. a big that statement. Was big. 
Yeah, right, it's a four point five. Okay, yeah. Good. At least I know where the table is set. I, you guys, uh, are all wrong. It is a five star. No, it was a hard movie for me, and I, I loved it. I just, I, I think it just hits uh, absolutely hits home for me, and I'm, I get very, uh, I, I, I think it's, it does all the right stuff, and. We haven't mentioned that J.K. Simmons is kind of a yes. singularity. Like, <laughs> right. He's achieved yes. singularity status. All he's spider in universes. Marvel and DC um, and all spider universes. And he's he's just everywhere. What a guy. Love that guy. Uh, loved his J. Jonah James. And I actually loved in the in the Lego universe, they just cribbed the li- yeah. his line from Tobey Maguire's <laughs> yeah. first Spider-Man. Uh, it was just perfect. Just perfect. There you go. That's uh, uh, where we have now been deeply into across all around the Spider-Verse, but not yet beyond it. That comes next year. Uh, We do have to talk just a little bit about what comes next in terms of coming attractions. Gentlemen, we're we're going to go party with Barbie. I can't believe I'm saying that. I can't believe there is a universe that exists where the four of us would agree unanimously to go to a theater to see the Barbie movie, but Greta Gerwig and Marlo, yeah. Margot Robbie have done it. Uh, so we're, I think it was the 2001 trailer, right? Absolutely. Was that it? Yes. yes, it was. Okay. All right. That is a movie that understands what it is. So next is that month, the we're year that Margot Robbie, Robbie was born, because whatever year she, day she was born, <laughs> I just signed up to see all the movies. <laughs> I don't think that's what you're talking about, but I'm in. okay all right well we're excited about it look seems like it's gonna be a big deal uh and so we're gonna be the creepy solo guys seeing this movie in theaters (laughs) don't forget to join the online community with fellow movie lovers if you haven't already just visit the slash discord and that'll send you over to our discord login page and if you want to see all the secret stuff that uh you know other people can't see you can sign up to become a supporting member at the nextreel.com slash membership for a few bucks a month you can get access to all the secret stuff you can get access to longer uh members only versions in your very own podcast feed of every episode and they come out early uh so it's all very very exciting again the nextreel.com slash membership uh thank you very much everybody for hanging out with us on behalf of Justin Yeager and Steve Sarmento and Tommy Metz the third, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll see you next month right here on the film board. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. 
And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grand's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Mm-hmm.